Yeah, we, in terms of the sort of salesy behaviors that I call out in the book, mm-hmm. uh, that term selling out, which are, you know, what's what's it really mean at heart to be salesy? Well, at the highest level, what it means is that you're putting your interests ahead of those of the buyer, mm-hmm. right? That's a pretty simple definition. Yeah, if, if, that's, if that's the case, yeah, you're selling out. In the B2B world, we're just not getting any better at selling, hmm. which seemed to me counter, counterintuitive given that we've certainly in the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've entered sort of this golden age of sales technologies that are available and uh, marketing technologies that are available. Impression was, my feeling and all my research was, hey, we're just not getting any better at this. And why is that? And what do we need to do? <laughs> what do we need to stop doing? And what do we need to do better? So that was Andy Paul. He's our guest today on the podcast, and I'm your host, Joe Lemon. So Andy Paul, if you're not familiar with him, he's a global sales trainer. Actually, he's ranked number eight on LinkedIn's list. He has close to over 190,000 connections on LinkedIn, which I'm extremely impressed by. And honestly, the more I got to understand his thought process of why he wrote his latest book, Sell Without Selling Out, man i think it's so timely because it's not something that i think is um going to be to most people as like oh i've never heard these concepts before but i believe this is a reminder this is a wake-up call and this is something that can get people back on track especially if you're in a place where you feel like man i've been doing everything i've been trying to build my business i've been you know trying to follow what all the quote-unquote we talk about hollywood sales people teach me to do and then there's the reality of what i say what happens in the trenches day in day out and people that just model good character as well as they stand on the things that they're you know presenting to people without persuading but with influence and he talks about that in his book too so i know you guys are going to love this conversation he's very thoughtful and i just like his perspective of honestly some of the some of the bleak realities of of our profession of of sales as well as some of the positive ways that we could you know enhance uh and really double down into some of the things that are most important to us which is just being human and i'll tell you this is my own spin on it here as well when we look at what's happening in the web three and what's coming in the metaverse that everybody has been talking about a little bit or maybe it's just me being more human is just going to pay off more and more and more and having a great co- character that can be that people can trust you to follow up on and do and model. Um, I just think that those characteristics are going to win the most in the future because I tell you what, I can automate so many things throughout the sales process, but you can't automate that. You can't automate trying to care about the person and putting their best interests first ahead of yours so with that being said man i know you guys are going to enjoy this conversation with the author of selling without selling out andy paul all right let's get into it out part is important yes <laughs> see one of the goals of the podcast here is really to to debunk a lot of things about selling i think that mm-hmm. you get um a lot of hollywood sales that are you know sales trainings that are done um and and those get a lot of traction and um, as a guy that's from Pittsburgh originally, uh, when mm-hmm. I moved to LA, uh, you understood Hollywood a lot better. You realized that <laughs> they can focus in on what they want you to see and they can pan out and leave all the rest of that stuff alone. So um, why write the book today? I'm curious. Well, I wrote the book because, um, yeah, over the course of my career and all the various things I've done, and especially in the last sort of 10 plus years writing books and 
having my own podcast, um, which we've done you know, a thousand plus episodes of so far, yeah. is that uh, in the B2B world, we're just not getting any better at selling, hmm. which seemed to me counter, counterintuitive given that we've certainly in the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've entered sort of this golden age of sales technologies that are available and uh, marketing technologies that are available. But in those moments when sellers are actually interacting with buyers, the ones that are decisive in terms of making a decision, yeah, my impression was, my feeling and all my research was, hey, we're just not getting any better at this. And why is that? And what do we need to do? <laughs> what do we need to stop doing? And what do we need to do better? You know, I think it would be good too to kind of, uh, you know, with your history in sales and, and seeing it evolve over time, um, I think it'd be really cool to kind of give like your state of the union of, of what you're seeing in the field and, and things that you're kind of observing. You know, when you say we're not getting better, what tactics are you seeing are like salesy and dated or are the buyers just not resonating with, you know, just, just those, those feels. Yeah. Well, it's a combination of things. I mean, it is, yeah. We, in terms of the sort of salesy behaviors that I call out in the book, mm-hmm. that term selling out, which are, you know, what's, what's it really mean at heart to be salesy? Well, at the highest level, what it means is that you're putting your interests ahead of those of the buyer, mm-hmm. right? That's a pretty simple definition. Yeah. If, if that's, if that's the case, yeah, you're selling out. And then the, the actions you take as a result of that are salesy, right? Is, is, you know, you're persuasion driven, right? It's, you don't really, don't really, doesn't really matter what's important to the customer. you you want to persuade them by your product. I mean, that's, that's salesy, the manipulative, the pushy, the, you know, not building the levels of trust you need. Not to say people are unethical, but just, you know, they come across as sort of slimy and off-putting. Yeah. Yeah. And we've all had to do things like that somewhat in our career at some point or another, um, unfortunately. But as I write about in the book is, is for me, that moment of reckoning came really early in my career, which was, yeah, I can't act this way, right? The way the sales training videos in the company I was working for is training us. It was like, yeah, it's actually a chapter title of one, one of the chapters in the book is like, what human being acts this way? Yeah. And that was my reaction to the sales training. I was being given by one of the biggest tech companies of the day. And it's like, it's not changed much since then. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened, I think, in the last you know, period of time is, is as we have more technology coming in, is rather than use the technology to reset how we engage with buyers, we've used it to automate and amplify the bad behaviors that we previously were doing. Yeah. So the bad behaviors from, you know, before the turn of the century, now we're able to do more of them because we're going to automate them Faster. and they're, and they're just as bad. Yeah. <laughs> and what's happening then is, you know, we see reports coming out from companies that research these analyst firms and so on is that, Hey, the percentage of sales reps achieving quotas, down, right? Is, is uh, win rates are down, close rates are down, the rates of no decisions are up. Hmm. And it's like, okay, what's going on here? And why, why is that the case, given where we are? So in the book, I, I make the argument that you can either be selling out or selling in. And if you're selling out, I said, you're putting your interest ahead of those of the buyers. 
you're engaging in these salesy behaviors that the buyers instinctively resist that in my mind, I think most sellers aren't comfortable doing anyway themselves, mm-hmm. but feel sort of compelled to do that. And I believe that we could, we could call a stop to it today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you and I ruled the sales world, we could put out a command and a decree and say, look, effective immediately, all salespeople around the world, we're going cold turkey on salesy. We're just not going to do it anymore. It's just going to stop. And you know what the impact would be? It would be different, my friend. Yeah. But the impact would be that no salesperson who stopped doing it would be any worse off. Right? I mean, if you can just shed these behaviors and you're no worse off, why wouldn't you? That's really, that's really what we need to do. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I did a recent post about something similar. I think, I think it's really... Um, it's a, it's a time for people that are on the front lines to have an introspective conversation with themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and, and you're right. Nothing would change besides your inner peace, probably. You know? <laughs> you, you well, know? Nothing, bad would, nothing bad would happen. I think what would change, though, yeah. is yeah. if they said, well, if I can't do that, yeah. selling out anymore, well, what's selling in? Oh, actually, huh, selling in. These are actually, it's based on innate human behaviors, right? Yeah. Something I already know how to do. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is so the contrast around the book between selling out is what I call selling in. And there's four core pillars of selling in connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. These are innate human behaviors and human attributes. And this is what makes them so powerful <laughs> is that we all know how to do them. We're wired to connect. We're wired to be curious. We're wired to want to understand, we're wired to be generous. And yeah, I just walk people through how to implement those in their selling. I love it, man. I mean, I mean so um, uh, I'm like a brand new father. So I have a, I have a 14. Oh, congratulations. Old. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. He's taking a nap now. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be up screaming in a second. But, 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 but with that being said, like you do see these things that are just there. They're in us. Like my son doesn't mind sharing things. Mm-hmm. Right. He'll walk up to, you know, people his size, you know, the babies and, and want to engage uh, the right. grownups. He's, he's scared. But, but, but if he comes out the baby, he's doing the hug thing. He doesn't mind kind of sharing what he has in his hand. Um, and these things are there like to wanting to want to connect, but somewhere along the lines, we, uh, we kind of flip the switch. And I, I, I'm curious to where you think that happens. Is it something that happens throughout the, you know, the sales training process, when you get in there, they kind of strip you down and because maybe you never sold anything before, or is it something that's way before that maybe this was like a, a middle school, high school type of thing where you're like, yeah. It's a great question though. It is a, it is a really great question because um, undoubtedly part of it is how we train people, part of it. But also people come into sales with some thought in their mind about how they need to act to be a salesperson. And I, quite frankly, I don't know where people come by this. So, of course, we have popular culture. We got movies and TV shows that portray salespeople in a negative light. But I was talking with um, a woman named Dawn Dieter Schmelz, who's head of the National Strategic Selling Institute at Kansas State University, which is basically, it's their sales program. You can get a degree in sales, an undergraduate degree in sales at Kansas State. She created that program. She runs that program. 
And she was on my podcast last week, or I interviewed her last week for my podcast. And she was talking about in her first year sales class, you know, introduction to professional selling for like freshman or sophomore, but people have never been in sales before. No background sales. She does role plays in the class. And she says, you know, it always strikes her that these people with no background sales instinctively lean to being super salesy. <laughs> yeah. So where does that come from? Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I don't know the answer. I, I asked that. But it's like, yeah, somehow this, this stereotype about salespeople has become so embedded, like in the ether somewhere, <laughs> that, that this is what people who've never been exposed to it at all think the way they have to act. You know, put on an act mm -hmm. as opposed to be themselves. I had a couple of thoughts. I would love, love, love to ping pong for here for a second, back and forth. And sure. because uh, I think a lot of the people that are true to like doing sales the proper way, right? Like you're curious mm -hmm. about the buyer, they're truly trying to solve problems. They're not in front of the camera or on the mic a lot. And so you don't hear from those people. They do their job and they go home a lot of times. I feel like, you know, mm -hmm. some, of the, some of the greatest sales trainers I've been around never do this podcast stuff. They're like, you feel like, Joe, that's for you. Have at it, have fun. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, the people that are active a lot of times in it, at least right. on the side of the table. But I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to sum up and say is that there aren't a lot of examples. They're, they're out there, like yourself. You obviously have, have been podcasting for how many years now, Andy? almost seven that's awesome that's awesome it's seven years uh top podcast all in sales however if you're not in our world you might easily pass over you and watch the movie of the guy who's doing the glenn ross glenn oh, gary glenn ross, fresh, yeah. you know right and so i mean for people that are in our ecosystem that are trying to learn trying to be better of course, we're going to see people like yourself and other great people that are doing it and maybe have a great sales manager uh, that's kind of walking with them and teaching them how to, you know, the right way to go through it. But uh, for the mainstream, it, I don't think it's, it's, it's present in the mainstream. That's just my uh, opinion there. Well, it is. And the, yeah, that's, and that's the question. Why? Right. But I, so for me, again, one of the other key motivations of the book is to have people learn to shed that act. Mm. Right. I mean, there's always there's an element of performance to sales when you're in a sales call, right? Sure. I mean, there's, I think that's inescapable, but you still have to be authentically you, right? You have to act and talk in a way that's aligned to your values, your character, the things you believe it really to some degree, your brand, right? Mm -hmm. Is, and yeah, it's hard for some people and partly because they come in, they're sort of trained that this is the way they should be acting. Uh, you know, we'd say, hey, here's your process or methodology, adhere to this process and this methodology. And, and people feel like uh, autonomy and agency to make choices about how they sell are stripped away from them. Hmm. And I think it's important to have frameworks for your sellers. But within those frameworks, you as a manager should be understanding that your job is to help your sellers become the best version of themselves. And you know, there's huge discrepancy in perceptions among sellers and sales managers about how well <laughs> the managers are doing in, in that in terms of providing that level of support. 
you know, we did, a, there's been multiple polls about this. We ran one, but other companies have run one uh, more official polls than we ran on LinkedIn, but where it basically it's like, you know, 80% of sales managers think they provide you know, four or more hours of coaching a week or something like that, some number, but you know, and it's like only 20% of sellers think that they receive that much coaching. So there's this huge perception gap yeah. just right there yeah. between what managers believe they're doing and what salespeople believe they're receiving. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to uh, imagine that a lot of times, you know, the management skill is different than the, you know, walking someone through the sales process skills. Mm. Right. And what's your whole thoughts on how a sales manager could really help improve someone that is stuck in that like salesy role. Let's say, okay, you know, you're my manager and I, you, you see me acting out of character. I get on the phone, I have a whole different, you know, line mm-hmm. of questioning and I'm line for line on the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How would well, you kind of I mean, encourage me to kind of step out of that process? Yeah. Well, I'm certainly, we could start with, you know, listening to calls, right? Mm-hmm. Whether recorded or in real time. And manager needs to gather data, right? So now with conversational intelligence tools, hey, almost any company can have access now to record their seller's calls and then listen to them. Maybe what you do as a manager is you say, hey, Joe, you listen to the call, I'll listen to the call, let's make our notes and then we're gonna have a coaching session on that call and we're gonna go through it and we're gonna compare you know, your call to the calls other people have made that uh, maybe similar type calls that maybe had greater success or lesser success, right? We'll just, let's, let's analyze it. We have the ability to do that. Or even if you're just monitoring the call, listening in as, as sales managers, do some of that just to get a sense of how people are, are doing it. And then devote the time to coaching. And coaching outside of, unfortunately, coaching for too many managers really, for them, really means deal coaching, right? Yeah. We're going to go through opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Sure. There's, there's valid time to go through opportunities. You, you need to keep informed as a manager what's happening and see how you can help. But this is something different. This is actual real coaching. And you know, there's a fabulous book on coaching that I recommend every sales manager should be on the shelf it's called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. Um, fabulous book. Uh, he's, he's sold a ton of them. It is the single best book on coaching you can buy. And it just takes you through, he's got a set sort of process to go through. And when you, the thing that's really interesting is that when you, when you read it, at least I had this impression, I got to the end of reading it because it talks about, you know, the questions you ask and, and just the way you, you set up the conversation you're having with someone to help them problem solve. I finished and I said, oh, wow. He thinks this book's about coaching. It's actually about selling hmm. because the framework he sets up for how you interact with someone that you are coaching is very applicable to sales. Man, I, I got to check that book out. Um, Cause I'm, yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been on a spree right now and my wife's uh, pretty upset at me for these five books that I've bought so far. 
uh, this month and I'll, I'll try to slow down next month, but, but, but I, I'm going to have to add that to the list because um, when you talk about questioning, I think that is something that I've, um, as I'm trying to develop and grow mm-hmm. in sales, it's something that I'm challenging myself more and more to do is how do you ask better questions? One of the reasons I even started the podcast, I wanted to have, get into more organic, natural conversations. So I- Great training. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I get a chance to pick people's brains like yourself. And, and you know, we, and you have, a, you have a section in the book where I think, I believe where it talks about unearthing these six types of questions to get the, to really understand the right. deepest challenges. Um, you mind kind of walking through a couple of those? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, why are questions important? I, I as you'll see as you go through the book, is, is I think you use questions not only to gather information, but to communicate information as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to sort of keep that in mind. So, you know, one, and there's a perfect example I talk about in the book, which is not one of the six questions, it's actually a, a bonus type, is as a seller, it's sort of easy to get in the trap of talking, right? And, and saying, okay, hey, you know, our product does ABC. Okay, so, right? And you get enough of those together, buyer starts tuning out. But if you think about it, and you're really cautious as, as part of your conversation, instead of saying we do ABC as a statement of fact, is say, it poses a question. So what would the impact be on you if you could do ABC? Now, you haven't said you do ABC, but the fact you asked them what the impact or the value would be of them if they could do ABC, well, they get it. Yeah. But then it triggers a conversation about that. Whereas so often sellers say, oh, we do ABC and then we do DEF and then we do, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we do whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah. So even if you do you know, benefit statements on, yeah, the benefit to you would be blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You're still you know, talking at the buyer. But there's this rule I call in the book called ask, don't tell is, is just be conscious about it. Anytime you think you want to blurt out something as a statement of fact, pose it as a question instead. That's, that is a gem, my friend. Like, you know, um, as a guy that loves uh, a lot of caffeine and, you know, I'm, 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 <laughs> I could be a guy that has those energy drinks. It's horrible for me. I know it. Uh, hopefully it doesn't catch up with me too soon. <laughs> but, but, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Stick and, to coffee. Yeah, I've been trying to do more teas, but you know, still, yeah. uh, man, it's uh, so easy because you're like, oh, maybe the buyer, you finally got in front of the buyer, right? So you've been cold emailing or DMing, however you got there. You're there now, you're on the Zoom or you're in person and you just can't wait to let them know. <laughs> yeah. How good everything is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I tell a story in, in the, the book about um, going to a, selling us large communication systems to a company in Scandinavia and, and was called to make the final presentation to the board and excuse me, the management board, as they call it there. And so the CEO and her team. And I took a sales engineer with me, went over to Scandinavian and you had a laptop, I had a presentation lined up and so on. I didn't use it and I didn't open it. I just went to the whiteboard and asked questions and drew some things out. And we walked out of there with a commitment to enter into contract negotiations from the buyer or the, the company. And yeah, the sales manager said, 
All you did was ask questions. We're supposed to present. Yeah. yeah. But by asking questions, they knew exactly what, what we did. They knew exactly. It was confirming. Questions are oftentimes confirming, you know, our understanding of what was really important to them and confirming to some degree, you know, what we did. But they could infer from what we talked about exactly what we did and the fact we understood what was important to them. Questions, I said, it's as useful for communicating information as for receiving it. So another type of questions I talk about in the book is what I call insight questions. And purpose of insight question is it's a conversation trigger, it's a discovery trigger, but you're going to pose a question to the buyer about something they should reasonably know about their business, but possibly don't. Mm-hmm. Because it's based on an insight that you've gathered from working with your customers, right, in the past and really understanding the value your customers are getting from your product and service. But even more than that is almost invariably, if you're really paying attention to your customers, you're going to find out that they've got a, they've developed a use case for your product or service that they didn't anticipate when they were purchasing it. And oftentimes that's the one that has the most value to them. Well, what is that? Find out what that is, right? Make sure you're engaged as a company with your customers or as a salesperson of your full cycle life, full cycle rep. Make sure you understand or talk to your success people. What are those use cases that are bringing the most value to them? And then form those into a question, right? So you're going to ask one of your buyers something that says, you know, Again, what would the impact be if, you know, or it could be, you know, maybe they, they're getting, uh, well, I'll give you an example of my own, is better yet, is not make it hypothetical, is, is when I talk to prospective client CEOs that I might do some consulting or advising or advisory work for, I'll say, so how many hours of selling time does it take you to move, on average, to move a buyer from initial point of contact to a close? How many hours of selling time are you investing? They should know. They don't. No one does. I I bet they don't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And very few do. Hmm. And a whole other conversation about why they should know. But they should know that. And they don't. So suddenly it's like, oh, well, why is that important? Mm -hmm. Why should I know that? Right? It, it, It triggers all sorts of questions on their part, lead to a great conversation. So, and by asking those type of questions, you're also insight questions. You're also, you know, accumulating some credit because like, oh, took a lot of acumen to ask that question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you're a seller in a large organization, you know, you're really, you're marketing, your success team, you should be working with sales to come up with these questions. You don't necessarily have to, shouldn't be developing on your own. If you're in a smaller organization, yeah, develop it on your own. Talk to your customers. Understand how they're using your product and services and what are the use cases that were sort of unexpected that are delivering a lot of value for them. You know, um, I feel like uh, with all the tools out there and, and you know this really well, I mean, you have a whole podcast on it. I mean, there's, there's uh, tons of software tools, you know, mm-hmm. enablement tools. I mean, you could literally spend a whole quarter not selling and just going through all the different tools that are available to make you a great salesperson. Yeah. And, and, you know, What's your thoughts on, on how it, like full cycle salespeople, that's a lot of people that I've worked with and, and talked to are people that are taking from A to Z at these smaller mm-hmm. companies. 
all these startups and you know what, what's your thoughts on how they should allocate time for selling research communicating with customers the whole gambit you know inspecting out different tools to implement what's your whole thoughts on that for sales leaders well hopefully someone else is specking out the tools that they should be using right so yeah. that should be sales operations or enablement or revenue operations one of those doing how the company is organized should be focused on that It really, this is sort of one of these, it depends questions. Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I, it really obviously can't, you, can't, obviously can't, you, can't, you can't sell anything without pipeline, right? Yeah. So you have to devote sufficient time to your pipeline building so you have enough opportunity to sell to. Yeah, if you're not getting inbound leads through the marketing of the company, then you're going to have to spend as much time as you need to to build that that pipeline. And it's it's going to vary, right? I mean, for me, in my career, you know, sometimes like early in my career, when I was doing a ton of, of prospecting in the field. Yeah, when I first got into my territory, it was a lot more. And by the time, right before I was being promoted into management, it was a lot less because I had referrals. I had, um, yeah, word of mouth. You know, I had other sources other than prospecting. Mm -hmm. And also I had different methods of prospecting that were perhaps more time efficient. So as you mature and you sort of, as I said, build up your territory, whatever that is, whether a list of counts or a geographic territory or a line of business, whatever, is it should become proportionally less of your time. And you should be able to devote more time to actual selling. But I think there's always sort of a, a baseline. You know, I, I try to send a certain number of either emails or direct messages on LinkedIn or, or emails, as I said, a day. And, you know, spend a certain amount of time on it um, every day. And I think that's pretty typical is to block time. You know, mm -hmm. if you're the best way to sort of have it to get into is, Hey, from nine to 10 every morning or nine to 11, depending on how much you need to do, I'm setting aside for biz dev and just nothing else is going to happen at those times. It has to become sacrosanct. And if you don't, then yeah, it tends to get deprioritized because most people really don't like doing it. I got to tell you, it makes me smile. Uh, the fact that, you know, you've been in, in this, in, in this world for uh, quite some time and you still are prospecting, right? That's a, that's like a beautiful thing. I mean, it, it, it kind of just shows your, your whole true heart and, and your, uh, you know, yeah, well, if you don't. Sales. Yeah. yeah. But if you don't, yeah, for me, it's different these days, obviously, but yeah, I mean, I think just, just in the last few days, uh, for me, a lot of it is just connect with people on LinkedIn yeah. and actually connect with people I am already connected to on LinkedIn. But yeah, you just have to devote time to it. And yeah, when you're new in your career, it's harder work. Yeah. It's harder work. It gets easier as you get more experienced, you get more comfortable being yourself, more comfortable with the value you're offering to prospects. It gets easier. Well, I mean, I mean, um, no, that is, it's still there though, right? It's not something that I think that at some point in my career, I forgot 
uh, exactly when, but it was like earlier on, I was like, man, at one point I, you know, it was one of those if then, well, if when, then this will happen type of ideas that, you know, young, young, well, at least a younger version of me was still holding on to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I won't have to prospect anymore or cold call and be over. <laughs> you know, I won't be reaching out in different ways uh, to strangers. And I'm just like, I guess it's never going anywhere. This is, this is me. This is where it's at, you know? And Yeah, it's never going anywhere, but it's, yeah. it's and it doesn't necessarily mean it's ever going to be fun. I mean, I, I know some people who claim they really enjoy it. Okay, <laughs> right. sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it's not my favorite activity in the world, but hey, yeah, that's how business happens. So yeah, you have to you got to do what you got to do. And this mm-hmm. is this is you know a lesson for sellers is you know if you think you've got an SDR team that's going to provide you leads and they're not giving you enough leads, are you just going to sit on your hands or are you going to go out and prospect? That's right. You're going to prospect because you got to do what you got to do to make sure you have enough opportunity in the pipeline. Man, I love it, man. I mean, I mean, you know, as we get ready to kind of land the plane here, I want to be really respectful of your time. You know, when we look at, you know, some of the some of the key takeaways about being more human, uh, mm. just just on the job and in sales, and just just as a as a person that's moving through their career, any any thoughts about uh, or any strategies and tactics people should do to kind of tap back into that piece of other life? Uh, yeah. Besides reading my book, um, <laughs> in addition to reading my book, in addition to reading the book, there we go. You know, it's, it's treat everybody with respect. Let's start there, right? Is, is everybody's got, in my mind, sir, everybody has an opinion, a valid opinion. I may not agree with it, sure. but they have an opinion. And yeah, everybody has value. Hmm. So if you're in sales, yeah, I always sort of get concerned. I see salespeople, yeah, maybe get a, some leads and just, Dismiss the leads without following up. Oh, I can tell just by looking at them, they're no good. They're no good. <laughs> it's possible they're no good. Right. But on the other hand, it's possible that they could be good. And it's possible that it could be somebody interesting you meet that could lead to something either with them or somebody else is, is you know, you're showing a real lack, I believe, a lack of respect when you don't follow up on those things, for instance. Um, so that's sort of like almost good manners, right? is be humble and, and humble. Yeah. In terms of, you know, being unself assuming, but it's, it's also about intellectual humility, right? In life, are you a, a know-it-all or a learn-it-all? And yeah, I'd urge people is you want to be a learn-it-all, mm-hmm. right? Cause as soon as you think you know it all, the world starts passing you by because the world's constantly changing. So yeah, this is sort of, I said, have respect for people, have you know intellectual humility? Be humble. Be modest. Uh, be friendly. Um, just sort of basic human things. I, I mean, I mean, yes. However, though, you know, this is exactly why people should read the book. I mean, because they're basic, but sometimes the most basic things are oh, the yeah. most common sense things aren't that common, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's somewhat somewhat true. Yeah. And it's, yeah, the book really puts to bed this whole lie that that you have to be salesy mm-hmm. and you know there are even conversations i've had since the book has been come out just in the last month with sales leaders that say oh, i love the book but i've got a number to hit mm-hmm. you know sort of this pregnant pause and i'm sort of saying so what you're telling me is mm-hmm. you have to engage in shitty sales behaviors mm-hmm. because you've got a number to hit and i said you know it's absolutely the wrong it's 180 degrees wrong 
right? If you if you're leaving it to the point where it's the last few days of the quarter and you got to go out and act all salesy to close a the deal, then you've mismanaged the deal from the beginning. And you know, I describe in the book how to use the four pillars of settling in to actually shorten decision cycles. And it's not it's not some technique or so on. It's just the way you operate, the way you execute. You can achieve certain milestones with the buyer that bring them to the point sooner where they're going to say, this is good enough. And that's really what you want. That's the decision most people make is the fact this is good enough. And that's not bad. That's good. That's an affirmative decision. That's the buyer saying, yeah, this is good enough because yeah, if we make this decision now, we're not going to invest additional time and resources to evaluate other alternatives that are basically the same as this one, right? This day, the day and age we live in, in most product categories, the difference between products are very slim, right? Very slim. So what's the differentiation? The point of differentiation is you as a seller and your ability to help the buyer complete the task that they have at hand, which is to make a decision. So in the book, I show you how to do that in a way that brings the buyer to the point where they're going to say, yep, this is good enough. Let's go. And you can help them do that. You'll win way more than you lose. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, man, you know, a a key takeaway for myself and hopefully the audience uh, can um, appreciate this whole conversation as well is, you know, trying to slow down enough so you can communicate with questions. I think that is, that's beautiful, right? Because couple of things go off. One, uh, you give a damn about me if you're listening mm-hmm. enough to me. And, 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 we, we, and we're in a sea of sameness, right? Where everybody's product looks very similar. Or right. Millimeter to the left is, you know, difference here and there. And pricing's all relative similar because they're all, you know, following the same pricing guides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so it's just checking the box here. And it's, it's a lot of the same stuff. Very few differentiated products out there. Um, you're right. comes down to the person that's presenting the product. And if one guy comes on with motor mouth and blows through you with A to Z of why they're phenomenal, and other guys just sitting there listening and taking you in, um, yeah, I think uh, I think I could imagine which one's going to at least get the get the follow up conversations. Yeah, well, customers, man, it's our last point for your audience. It's just you know really important to keep in mind is is when you're talking to a buyer, mm-hmm. they're making a calculation on their head, which is. I'm going to invest some of my time and attention in you. Mm-hmm. So am I going to earn a return on that investment? So am I going to earn a return on the time and inv- attention I invest in you? Which means that every time you interact with a buyer, anytime you consume any of their time or attention, there has to be something of value for them in that. In value meaning very simple. And I, you know, it's all this buzzwords around value and sales and so on. So I I make it very simple in the book. Value means one thing. It means progress. Meaning Mm -hmm. as a result of this interaction, doesn't matter how big or how small with this phone call, a Zoom call, in-person meeting, reading an email, the customer is investing their time and attention. If as a result of this time and attention they've invested, the buyer's not closer to making a decision than they were before and then it had no value for them. Wow. Simple way to look at it. To help them move closer to making a decision or not. If not, 
had no value, which means there's no ROI for the buyer on the time and attention they invested in me. And if that repeats itself, what's going to happen? They're going to stop giving me the time and attention. Mm-hmm. Ever been ghosted by a buyer? Once or twice. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is very likely what's happening. Yeah. They made a choice. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people it's, it's personal, mm-hmm. not in personal as in you're a bad person, but mm-hmm. personal as in, yeah, you didn't give me, you didn't show me and help me, you know, receive any value from interacting with you. So I don't have time for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not helping me get my job done, my job to make a decision on this you know, purchase. So just keep that in mind. Everybody's listening. It's just, there's this fundamental bargain. They give you time and attention. You got to give them something of value in return. Andy, man, this was a fun conversation, man. I, uh, I'm glad we did it. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, no, I'm seriously. I mean, this is refreshing. Um, and I, I know it, so some people might seem like, oh man, yeah, this is what my grandmother told me, or my, or, or, or this is what people around the, you know, around my neighborhood try to give me to understand coming up, and and sometimes that's just the timeless stuff that you know gets lost in the, in this whole uh, in this whole brand new seasons as they as we yeah. say. Yeah. Well, and someone sometimes people ask me, yeah, what's the root cause of bad salesmanship? And I'll say, oftentimes it's bad parenting. Ooh. I wish you would have named the book that, man. <laughs> well, but, but the fact is that, that you know, if, if you weren't raised to be curious, if you weren't raised to have good manners, to be respectful of other people, if you weren't raised to have empathy for other people, if you weren't, you know, raised to, to you know, be comfortable talking to strangers, uh, you know, people that maybe have different status than you, mm-hmm. you know, that's all social, how we're socialized as kids to some degree. So being a little facetious when I say bad parenting, but the fact is, is that I love it. These, are, these are lessons we learn early in life and um, yeah, if we just apply them as humans in a business setting, then, you know, we can build the connections we need with buyers to help them make decisions that, to do business with us. No, no, I, I think it's great because there's, cause you're right. We're talking about being human now. We're not even in the whole, you know, deal-making mode here. We're just talking mm. about basics of in, interaction, human interaction. So Andy, Paul, really appreciate your time, man. Really. Oh, thank, thank you. for kind of, you know, pressing in and, and opening up the, the actual, uh, you know, your whole heart here a little bit about why you kind of wrote it and some of the places that we're at and, it doesn't look good if we stay on this track. I got to be honest with you. A lot of people are kind mm-hmm. of scared about our profession, but I think movements like this will only get the people ahead uh, that are willing to kind of have the courage to kind of press into them. So sell without selling out. Uh, Perfect. You guys should go check it out. <laughs> there it is right there. So with that, everyone, it is a wrap. I want to thank you so much for staying tuned to the podcast and please go over to the fresh Thought Friday newsletter. This is my just, you know, weekly drop of, one tactic on how we can all approach collaborative selling a little bit differently, as well as I'm doing a business case study on these different trends that are happening in small business land, as well as some of the larger wellness brands out there in the field. So if that's of any interest to you, please go over and check that out. Man, that's at joelemon.co. And with that being said, we're out of here.